Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All righty, guys. Good morning. Happy Friday. We are blessed to have another episode of the Auto Bid Live for you guys today. And we have a special guest today. We are joined by Seton Hall, assistant coach and DMV native Tony Skin. So, Coach, man, thanks for joining us today. Man, I appreciate having uh, having me on, man. This is, what, our second time in a, in a few span of months, man. So, must have meant that I did a decent job that first interview. So, I appreciate you guys having me back on. <laughs> of course, man. Definitely had to bring you back for a second time around, man. Um, you know, definitely, guys, man, I want to make sure, man, before we get started in the interview, man, make sure you guys are liking this podcast, subscribing. It goes a long way, man. Um, obviously, we have some dope interviews for you guys, man. We have some pretty, pretty dope conversation on this podcast today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, obviously, March Madness, talk about, you know, Seton Hall season this year. Um, and then we're going to get into a little bit more of a, um, you know, a tougher topic, obviously, as we are three African-American men on this podcast. Um, but I'm not going to get too much into that right now, man. Um, but, Coach, man, first thing I want to talk to you about, man, was this season was crazy, man. We just obviously saw Baylor uh, get crowned national champions, Coach. So, I mean, for you, man, like, what was it like, man, just obviously just looking back at the whole season, the grand scheme of things, man, and just be like, dang, man, obviously from the beginning – when we were, I mean, we talked to you last summer, man. We were asking you, yo, how's the COVID shut down? How you guys dealing with it? Now, mm-hmm. man, it's over, man. So take me through this season for you guys. You know, what it was like navigating all the pauses, man. And, you know, what's going through your head now that everything's, you know, over? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's crazy because you, you got you to gotta take it back. For us, you got to take it back to uh, last year when COVID interrupted the Big East tournament. Um, we were, I want to say, a number two or number three seed. And so, so we had a chance to really make a, a, a like a real run, you know, especially with the best college, you know, best player in college basketball with Miles Powell, um, Quincy McKnight, you know, Ramaro Gill, who got Defensive Player of the Year, most improved. You have that type of um, ammunition going into the tournament. You're, you're pretty confident um, that you can do some damage. But COVID then happens, and it kind of just hits you, punches you right in the mouth. Um, and I think it's funny. I think there's two programs that were hit the hardest from what they could have been last year and then what we ended up being this year, and it's us and Dayton. Dayton had a really, really good team last year. Um, and so, again, you fast forward, um, obviously, to this new season. You lose an alpha dog like Miles Powell and Ramar Gill and Quincy, and then you, you kind of – you're trying to figure out your team. It's like the gift and the curse of having a really, really good player um, because then everyone else has to now find themselves and, you know, you have to find your identity and things like that. And I thought we did a pretty good job um, through the course of the season, you know, like most respective programs. Um, you just really didn't know what you were getting yourself into with COVID, man. 
And it, it, it you know, dep- depending on how it hits you from a schedule standpoint, um, depending on how Um, it was just one of those things where it was really just up and down. And we were really just one game away from qualifying for the tournament. Um, we kind of floated around third or fourth place in the league for the most part. Um, but if you look at some of the games that we lost, I mean, we lost lost a couple, you know, just tough ones down the stretch. You, uh, you know, wide open layup that we dropped at Villanova that we should have won at Nova. Uh, being up 18 against Creighton and just kind of just blowing that lead with, you know, three or four minutes left to go. Uh, we were one win away, so it was definitely a challenging year um, for the most part. But just given the way our group responded with some of those adversities, um, we didn't make the tournament. But I, I think we had a pretty solid season um, given what we had. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Coach, I, I want to get your opinion on this. I mean, um, obviously Gonzaga was the front runner. You know, the whole year everybody thought they were going to run away with the championship. They were having an undefeated season. And then, you know, here comes Baylor. Obviously, they were undefeated for a while, too. They had had their COVID poll dropped a few games. I mean, that national championship game, I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable, the energy and intensity that Baylor played with those guards, Maceo T, Davion Mitchell, and Jared Butler. I mean, what was your take on the, on the game? I mean, just watching the way that Baylor played and the way the season ended. Um, I mean, when I, me watching that game, I mean, I, I knew before at the first media timeout that that game was over. I was, there's no way yeah. I could compete with these dudes physically, athletically. I mean, just what was your take? What was your take on? I mean, just on the championship game, just watching that. I mean, that was that was as good of a game. Um, even though the score was a little bit lopsided, because like you said, you know, Baylor came out and punched them in the mouth the first two possessions, yeah. and you were just kind of, as as you watched the game, you were just hoping, you know, at some point in time, like Gonzaga was going to punch back. They were going to punch back, but when when you tie in the way that Baylor jumped on them, and then you tie in the fact that Jalen Suggs, you know, he had this you know crazy moment the game before a game before when he hit the half court shot, sometimes poise and that type of excitement uh, it kind of gets you caught up a little bit. And I just thought that Jalen Suggs came out um a little bit too he just he tried to do a little bit too much too fast. He ends up getting in foul trouble and he comes out the game. And that takes that just completely takes changes the game. Um and, and Baylor knew that. And and Baylor just, you know, they stepped on the gas even more. Um, and Gonzaga just got, you know, they just got down too much too early to fight back against a good, really, really good team like Baylor. You look at one through five, man, it didn't matter who was guarding on the perimeter. It didn't matter who was down low, just their activity level. Um, that that might have been, in my opinion, one of the most physical, um, you know, teams I've seen in a long time. Um, and I mean, they, they deserved it, you know, credit to Gonzaga because they had, you know, almost an imperfect, I'm sorry, almost a perfect, um, you know, season but I do think that there's value in the Big 12 and the league that Gonzaga plays in um in my opinion I just think uh much more battle tested than Gonzaga and I know Gonzaga puts together a really really good non-conference schedule um and again it's no knock to their competition man but you know Baylor's going against you know Kansas every night. They're going against Texas every night. They're going against Oklahoma State, West Virginia. They've been in that pressure cooker so, so many times. And I really think that was just the difference maker in that game. Yeah. Coach, did you see that play with Macy O.T.? He, like, saved the ball out of yeah. bounds. Then yeah. sprints all the way across the court, contested you know, shot. I think it's the- funny. No, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. 
Now, I was saying, I mean, I think that was just a microcosm of, the, of that game. I mean, like you said, the first two possessions, Baylor grabs like three offensive rebounds, and you could just tell that they just wanted it so bad. The activity level, the deflections, I mean. I, that, the, play, the play you're talking about, the play you're talking about, actually, I DM'd myself when I saw it. This is the play, you're, you're, this is the play you're talking about for that. I mean, this is absolutely insane. That's the one. Yep, that's the one. That's the play. I mean, that. Is that the one you're talking about? Yep, that's the one. I mean, I think. Like, when you have, when you have that type of act, when you, no, go ahead. No, I'm saying, like, that was a microcosm of the game for me. Like, just watching that play, like, this is, that was a microcosm of the way that that, that game went and the reason that Baylor won that game. Yeah, I, jo- I joked around, like, when you have that type of activity, like, when you're watching the game, it's like, it's, you're playing, like, eight on five. <laughs> and it's impossible to get anything done or find any type of rhythm. And, you know, you put that, you know, you put that stage and you put the, you know, the nerves in there and the team that's just playing just so ferocious like that, man, playing with the ultimate confidence. They're not thinking about anything when it, when they know they're pl- playing that hard. And then when you start thinking about it, that's when, you know, when you match those two energies together, man, like you're done for, man. <laughs> you're done for. And, you know, possession after possession, man, they were just able to just make it so tough. So Gonzaga, it felt like it was like two extra dudes out there defensively. It was just nowhere for Gonzaga to go. Yeah. No, literally. And another thing I kept asking, man, you're you're a coach, man. So I'm I'm, I'm gonna get your, your opinion on this, man. Like, why did Gonzaga keep switching Drew Timmy onto Davion Mitchell and and Butler? Like, I was watching the game. Like, why do they? Because they were getting the switch and then blowing right by him. I don't understand why they kept switching. Like, I don't know why they didn't go to like a a hedge and get like I, I just I. I don't know, man. Maybe you know, make, you, you know, you know, and again, yeah, and again, sometimes I wasn't watching the game in to, to, to its complete entirety. I was trying to actually enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you've been doing something for, you know, 28, 29 games, you try to stick to it because it's worked. And you look at Gonzaga, I mean, you think about it, whatever they did in game one, why would they change it in game in game 30? They haven't lost the game. Yeah. Needed to be made through the course of the game, but when you're in action like that, man, it's it's, it's hard to prepare for that the day before the game and say, "Hey, this is what we're going to do." And sometimes, sometimes you might look at some mismatches and see some things that you should change, but you got to make them adjust to you at the same time. And I just thought that maybe they just got caught up in, you know, just what they've been doing all season and and and, and not trying to change things up. And at that point, I felt like the game was already over. So if they did try to make some uh, some adjustments, I mean, they were already down six, seven possessions. Like, what 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 is really going to happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I know for us, we switch one through four, and we rarely make those adjustments, you know, the day before a game just because a team might have a different type of, um, of a you know, different type of a matchup. But, but you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, if I got Drew Timmy in front of me, I'm going to smack at him. But again, if you look at some of those guards that Baylor had, does it really make a difference? Them dudes was going to get to where they were going to get to regardless. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it wasn't just Timmy either. It was, yeah. it was CRISPR. Yeah. I mean, they, they, were, they were all giving oh. – I mean, even Suggs struggled a little bit. But, I mean, those Baylor guards, I think, were just too athletic, too good, and, and it was just their night. They were they, – it was it was just the activity level from the, to the skill level. I think it was just a bad matchup. For you, just had, you just had you – had, you had too many dogs on the floor, man. I mean, because, you know, sometimes – and really Baylor should be the model – 
um, of what you want your team to look like. You can't have just one guy like a Jalen Suggs. You got to have multiple dudes that can go out and get you a bucket. You know what I mean? Because in games like that, like, you know, maybe I'm off, but if you're on, we're good. If I'm off and I'm the only guy, then we're, we're you know, we're Gonzaga, essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say they, they have three All-Americans, though, because Corey Pittsburgh was the first team All-American. Timmy was a second team All-American. So it wasn't like it was just Suggs. They had Ayayi. Yeah, but, 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 but again, man, it's a, it's, it's, this is a guards game and always has been a guards game. And when you have three-headed monsters like Baylor Duke did at the guard spot, that's just a tough matchup. It doesn't matter what kind of start you have. Nick Pittsburgh needs Jalen Sucks to help him get going. You know what I mean? Drew Timmy needs Jalen Sucks to help him get going. Baylor, those guards, they didn't, they don't, they play off of each other. You know what I mean? They play off of each other. And so I, I think it's just a different, a completely different dynamic as far as personnel is concerned. And in a game like that, give me three, those three guards that might not be all Americans versus the all Americans that Gonzaga has. Cool. Now I want to pivot a little bit to you guys and your, and your team and your season. I mean, you guys, you know, you, you coach, you know, uh, Biggie's co-player of the year and Sandro, Sandro, I don't want to butcher that name, Mamo Kellis really. I hope I pronounced that Mamo. right. Mamu Scavelli, yeah. There we go. Okay, so, you know, he, he was one of the best bigs in the country this year, you know, which is his versatility, his ability to score and pass. I mean, just talk about his growth, the season that he had this year. I mean, um, I don't know if there's any word he's earned the draft yet. But I mean, just talk, talk about him um, and the season that he was able to put together uh, this season. Well, I mean, I think it starts with him, man, just having um, just having the uh, willing spirit to be coached. Because when you're 6'10", we floor – when you know the development stops because you you think you you think you know everything, um, but his willing spirit—he's an awesome kid. People don't realize that he's super young, even though he's graduating. He's like barely twenty-one, um, and so he was very very coachable. And you know, obviously, our culture and the things that we've been able to do, things that they were doing even before I got here from a development standpoint, um, I think is a testament to just kind of our skill development and what we do. A big thing that you know we did with him, even though he's 6'10", 6'11", we knew early on that he could pass, he could dribble, he could shoot. And so we would always have him in the workouts with the guards. And I just think that that really, really helped him, gave him so much confidence over the course of the years. Um, And playing alongside with Miles Powell, I mean, you know, you fast forward, you put him, you take him out the picture. Now he has the confidence and he's already been put in those situations where when he has the ball, he knows when he gets the rebound. Now he doesn't have to look for just think that kind of confidence with the skill set that he has and the work ethic that he has. Um, he was just a tough, he was a tough of a matchup for, it didn't matter who he played. He was just too tough of a matchup because he could post you up, get off the bounce on the closeout situation. He's can shoot. So when you're able to do that at 6'11", man, I, I, I don't know if there's three or four people in, in, in college basketball that can do that. So it was a well-deserved um, award. Now you, you touched on it a little bit in your last answer, um, talking about Baylor being the prototype, you know, for college basketball. And, um, I mean, it was, it was, you know, very well known how they put that team. You know, they put together with a lot of transfers, obviously with Deion yep. Mitchell and Macy Oteague and the big fella from UNLV, man. And I know mean, you can't, might be, might not be able to mention names right now because I know guys ain't signed, but you got to take advantage of the portal. You know, this all season, obviously, bringing in the guy in Lexi Yetno, who I think is the next Andrew Delgado, you know, maybe 2.0. You got Brandon Kadir Richmond from Syracuse, man. Um, just talk about what you guys have been able to do um, yeah. with, with the transfers and things like that, man, kind of rebuilding your roster, like you mentioned earlier. You know, even though, um, you know, obviously losing a guy like Miles Powell, and, you know, two years later, you guys are really, you know, being able to retool um, through the transfer portal. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the transfer portal is, is <laughs> that's kind of what we live and die by as coaches, um, especially this year where they've given so much autonomy to kids to be able to transfer without being penalized. Um, and as you see, Baylor, it's an older team. You know, you look at their bodies and the way those guys look. You know, you want to give the the, the, the credit to the to their strength and conditioning coach, but but the reality is these are older dudes. You know what I mean? And it's it's such a tough um, at this level. It's very very tough to just win with with younger guys. Not to say you can't groom them into you know being those guys, but you got to have a balance. Um, and fortunately and unfortunately, the transfer portal provides that. Um, and obviously, we were aggressive with you know. Sure, we got um, you know some, some good players for our season next year. With the guys that we lost, we lost a couple of seniors. Obviously, Sandro's graduating, um, Takam Olsen graduated, Shavar Reynolds graduated, um, and so we obviously needed some you know some extra help. And so getting on on getting on that market and being aggressive like everyone else, uh, we were able to get some really really good solid um, gets with um, you know Kadari Richmond, obviously obviously out of um, you know Syracuse. That's a really really good guard, tough. Um, you know, it came down to us at Syracuse the first time and obviously just, a, you know, easier of a decision for him the second time around. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, you know, um, Alexis Yutton, I mean, he's he's a walking double-double. If you look at his freshman stats, he was like 13 and 10 um, in like 29 or 30 minutes. Um, very close to the same stats that Angel had as a freshman. And his stats dipped a little bit as a sophomore, but I take that as just him, him just kind of getting back from his ACL I think he got COVID during the year and just this imbalance of a year for, for guys seven in a down year. Um, I think the best basketball is ahead of him. And then obviously uh, Jameer Harris from American that we picked up, you know, shooter that can make plays averaged almost 20 a game over at American. So he has the ability to score. So those are three really good additions for us. Um, and just trying to flip the page into, you know, what we all know is going to be, you know, hopefully a full season when everybody kind of gets back to it. Cool. For sure. Now, I want to pivot a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, we're three black men. You are a black coach. Um, this cycle, there's been a plethora of black coaches that have gotten jobs um, in this college basketball cycle. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, the, the uptick in the, in the amount of black head coaches that have gotten opportunities. Um, this, this head coaching cycle, I mean, I know it was at one point it was 10 of the 15 openings that gone to black coaches. I know after that, we had seen um, Mike Woodson. Um, ETSU hired a black coach. Um, there are many other people that have hired black coaches as well. I mean, just, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on Hubert Davis at North Carolina? Yep, yep. I mean, what are your thoughts on the amount of black coaches that have been hired um, this year in, in this coaching cycle? You guys went out a little bit. Um, no, it's been great, man. I think I think the one thing that the pandemic gave us was um, it gave us a platform and it gave us a chance to really, um, you know, just kind of voice – what we already know and what's the kind of the elephant in the room. Um, and, and everyone kind of, kind of pressed paused um, and started to listen. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing, just having that platform and having an opportunity to be heard. Um, it's definitely a great thing to just see like the changes actually happening because the conversations have been going on like forever. And as bad as the COVID, you know, pandemic was, it also gave us a chance to really, you know, our voices to be, to be heard and, you know, different people in different um, positions of uh, leadership and administration and guys that were making these decisions to actually say, Hey, listen, we gotta, we gotta change this model up because something is not right. Right. And so watching. You know, 
these guys position all over the place, man. I mean, that's great because that's what, that's what we get in this for as coaches. Um, we want the opportunities to be able to lead our programs. And as you see the shift in um, the culture and the shift in the change, I mean, it's a good thing. And this is what we asked for. So I- I'm happy about it, man. It's dope. For sure, man. And I, I-, I wanted to get your opinion on it, man, because it's been something that's obviously been in the media a lot, man. Um, and that yeah. was um, Jason Shea at, e- at ETSU. Obviously, you know, he, he resigned, you know, because yeah. – he said that there was pressure from the government and officials um, when he supported his players in kneeling. And yeah. um, a lot of people were like, man, like, that's going to pretty much crucify the school going forward because who's going to want to take that job now? Who's going to want to – what, what kids are going to want to commit there and play there with a, yeah. a school that's not going to support them? Obviously, we know that they, they, they did hire an African-American coach. Yeah. How do you feel about that dynamic? Like, all right, like, should I take this job knowing that I may not be able to truly be who I am? Like, I mean, we're, we're, I don't know, man. I just wanted to get your take on that and kind of how you felt about that whole dynamic because it's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's just several ways to look at that. You know, again, I can only kind of speak on my, my, my experience. You know, I've been fortunate to be, you know, part of two really good institutions at, you know, La Tech for my first three years and then obviously here at Seton Hall. Um, you know, it's been great leadership in the administration and the support, you know, not just our staff, but our student athletes, um, you know, so that's my personal experience. Um, and it's also been a great year, like we just talked about and moving the needle for coaching opportunities. I was part of the uh, CFA um, committee in the Big East, which is coach, coaches for action, all the uh, black assistants in the league, which was a platform for, you know, just pushing for several changes, you know, in our community and just having a chance to be heard like we talked about. Um, and I think when you look at the uncomfortable situation at um, ETSU, I, I don't think you can then say, well, we want these opportunities, but we don't want this one. Um, I think, you know, each individual's candidate, um, you know, for the job has their own feelings, you know, um, towards that situation coming in after, you know, a situation like that. So I can only speak for myself um, as much as, you know, these institutions, the administrations interview us as coaches. I think we also have to come with tough questions to see if this goes in line with, you know, what your beliefs are um, and how you can kind of help bridge that gap between those issues and your players and your program. Um, so if the opportunity presents itself, presents itself, you know, that's kind of what um, getting those opportunities is about. Can you be the guy that if there is issues there, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, it doesn't have to be the elephant in the room. And so, like I said, we fight for these opportunities and we don't really know what happened there. That's the reality of it. You know, we look at the Internet. That's the dangerous game that the Internet allows us to play because we look at a situation like that and we just don't. Happy. We heard of many things that happened through the course of the year. Um, you know, I heard something about, you know, rental cars, I mean, their cars being taken away, you know, after they, they, they uh, got down on, you know, one for the national anthem, but I also read that, you know, he technically resigned, but he's also getting paid for the next three years. So again, you have to have the truth, the whole truth, nothing but it when you go into a situation like that. And I'm, I'm sure Desmond Oliver, I believe that's the new coach's name. Um, you know, I'm sure he had that type of information. And again, you have an opportunity to take a job like that. I don't, I don't think because of those issues, you say no. I think because of your leadership and who you are, you try to make sure that whatever was broken, you try to come in there and fix at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess for me, this is like, all right, now he has the job, right? He's in the room. He has a seat at the table. 
What do you think his role is now? I mean, I think for me, you know, I think there, there will have to be some, some discussion between the AD and the president as far as like, all right, I'm not coming here to be your token black coach. Uh, we, we, we fixed it. We hired a black guy. Now everything's going to go to waste. Like, I thought like there has to be some type of thing where it's like, as a coach, you say, this is what I, this is what needs to happen. You know, I mean, I guess, what do you think his role is now that he's in that room, now that he's in that position of, of power? What do you think his role is now as far as just trying to make sure that there is a safe space for his players and his players feel safe where they can voice their opinion or, or they can be like, he has their back, right? Let's not, like, we want to make sure that as black players, we have black coaches that have their back on and off the court. I mean, what do you think his role is now that he's in that seat at ECSU? Yeah, I think I think that you know. First of all, you have you have a responsibility, and I think your responsibility starts with your student athletes, with your players. Um, you know, rest in peace to you know John Cheney, you know John Thompson from Georgetown, you know two Hall of Famer coaches. Um, w- without their progressive approach um, in 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 a climate that was far worse than it is now, um, and accepting you know accepting black leadership, um, where would we be as coaches? You know, I think Coach um, Coach Oliver has a responsibility where you know he has to be the face and the voice of his student athletes and his players. It starts with it starts with him. Um, you know, when you study those guys like John Thompson and, and, and John Cheney, you learn so much about their experiences, and it, it kind of sets a certain standard um, on what being a head coach means. And you think about it, you know, without John Thompson, Allen Iverson does not exist, um, and those 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 circumstances are completely different. Um, that leadership position is not. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Now, um, you were once a player, man. Obviously, you, you know, you're the spirit of March Madness. You know, when you went to a Final Four, man, you've been in that seat before. You played overseas. How do you think this is going to – this this whole thing at ETSU is going to affect, like, kids, or, you know, that potentially might, might want to go there? You know, how are you going to, you know, try to recruit an African-American kid and come into their living room and come into their neighborhood and say, yeah, come to this school, when you know that there's going to be pressure from the lawmakers and people above that may not – agree with some of the things that I agree with as, as, as a player. You, you broke up on that last part. Say the last part. Yeah. My bad. I was thinking, um, you know, how, how do you think this is going to affect, affect recruits? Like when you, if you're a kid, you know, and you're, and you're coming, you know, you're, you're trying to recruit a kid at ETSU, you know, you might have to, as a, as a player, right? Like how are you going to, how would you think that's going to affect them knowing that, all right, man, this guy's coming to my neighborhood and my community and, you know, these Tennessee lawmakers or ADs might not have the same ideas as, as I do. You know, they might not – we might not have the same realities or experiences, and they might not agree with the things that I agree with. You know, how do you think that will affect them recruiting uh, from, from, you know, trying to get kids to come to the school? Well, I think it's – it's it's um you got to peel the layers off of that one a little bit because, again, I don't know the, um like, actual situation that happened at ATSU, so I can't really comment too much of it. I saw a little video where – um, one guy was following, you know, maybe a state senator with a legislator on the elevator and just following him around and asking him questions. And it's like, know anything that was going on. So from that perspective, I, I would say there's more of an issue with the kids that the new coach is going to have to recruit and what he, the lions that he has to fight from other programs, throwing that against him. Yeah. And I think I think that's more the issue where, again, you have a responsibility that at the end of the day, like this is not an easy situation to come in after. But this is who I am. Um, this is who I am as a coach. This is what I personally believe. And I can only speak for myself and my program, because at the end of the day, our main job is to mentor 17 through 21 year olds through, you know, one of the most important stages of, of their lives. 
Um, and part of that is challenging them to address some of these issues that exist. And I think it's very important for them to have a voice. And it starts with us as head coaches so or, or as coaches in general. So I just think that just making sure that, you know, whoever you're recruiting, those conversations have to be had. A lot of times you guys have been through it. Like you go on some of these visits, a lot of these visits are sometimes fluff. You know, we're going to feed you. We're going to feed you five times. You know, we're going to take you out. You're going to hang out with the players. But you don't really get to the bones of who you're getting ready to commit the next three to five years of your life with. And I think when you have an opportunity to just show who you are to your recruits, their parents, um, I think you can smell through some of the BS. Um, I think that's what you have to kind of rest your, 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 your opinion and, you know, your two cents. And as you kind of go through making your decision, because no matter where you go, there's going to be issues. Like what's more important to you? Um, at the end of the day. Okay. Now, I want to ask you something. I mean, as, as black men, you know, this is not even just necessarily a college basketball thing, but we've all been times told that we have to be, you know, more professional. or We, we, have, we have to, you know, uh, try to try to mold or, or filter, I guess, you know, I guess our, our blackness or even even in the media, per se, like somebody like Jamel Hill, who was at ESPN and, you know, was very outspoken on certain issues, and now she's has her own platform. Um, and then obviously with coaching, you know, there's this idea that coaches have to be, you know, this, this idea. I mean, how do you kind of, you know, maintain who you are and be you while also trying to make sure that you're being professional and, and make sure that you're putting yourself in position to be successful and to be in the positions and to get where you, where you want to be? I mean, I think that's the one thing that, you know, I know from a personal level, that's the one thing that basketball has given me. You know, I've had an opportunity to, um, I wouldn't say do a full circle, but, you know, Obviously, going to um, George Mason, going to a junior college before that, you watched Last Chance You Like, I lived that experience twice, right? I'm not always – you know, I'm not the same person I am now um, at 38 when, that I was at 18. And I think that's the beautiful thing that basketball kind of gives you. You're able to just kind of go through this thing and learn um, how to be a professional, but also, you know, learn how to still be yourself. At the end of the day, this is who I am. This is what I look like. And it look like. So at the end of the day, I think that that stuff kind of goes hand in hand. Um, but at the same time, without spending you know, seven years, so almost eight years, you know, across the globe in Europe where people didn't speak English, but you were still able to um, build a relationship with people because they just knew who you are to now jumping into coaching to, you know, coaching, you know, back in DC. And again, this is just my personal experience and how I kind of manage um, and try to have a balance of just being who I am. Um, I think it goes hand in hand because without basketball being that type of a tool, you're not able to navigate any of that. Right. You know, because as players we're looked at in a certain way, um, but then as coaches or administrators we're looked at in a certain way. But unfortunately, that's just kind of the name of the game and, you know, the, the way that it is, regardless if it's, if it's if it's basketball or if it's just another job. You know what I mean? If it makes sense. So I just think those two things goes hand in hand. But you have to have a certain sense of um, you have to have a certain sense of yourself. You got to keep it real with yourself, keeping it real with the people that you're in front of. Um, because at the end of the day, those 17, 18 year olds, they end up being 35, 36 year olds. And so that model goes hand in hand, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> on, 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 on a little bit of a lighter note, man, I, you know, for the people who may remember, you know, Tony Skin, the, the player, man, Tony Skin, I was, you know, playing in the Olympics. Tony Skin, I was in the final four, man. 
we want to know, this is a two-part question, man. Like, who is Tony Perry as a coach, man? Like, what's his style, man? Are you getting on dudes? Are you yelling? Are you the quiet dude? And the second part of that question is, I mean, are you still getting in practice with these dudes and you know, <laughs> up, or you you holding the clipboard for good now, man? Like, what's, what's nah. that? So, so I, I'll say this, man. Like, this is going into my seventh year. And I always try to just mesh in with the staff, you know, just depending on, you know, you know, who's who and what's what and what type of voice we have. Um, I'd say I'm a good cop. I'm a good cop. I don't, I didn't take yelling well when I was a player. That wasn't really my thing. Um, and so I try to take a little bit of that into like my day-to-day concept with my guys. Um, obviously you got to get, you got to get after some of these dudes that, you know, different parts of the game but sometimes just pulling them to the side and just kind of talking to them is 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 kind of my approach you know because I just think that at this level man confidence is everything man it's everything and then you get to yelling and you get to these kids get so many different voices and those voices are being replayed and now you yelling at them and I just think sometimes the good cop approach is just my approach from a personal standpoint um let me give you some information so you can actually process it and think about it you know, because if you're receptive to it, you're thinking about it. And then when you get on the court and you apply it, there, there you'll see the results. You know, if I'm yelling at you like, yo, did it, you're not listening to me. So now you're carrying me yelling at you onto the floor and you're doing the exact same thing I yelled you about. You know what I mean? So I, I'm more of a good cop on pulling you to the side. Um, what I call, I call it OG talk. I'm going to give you some, you know, I'm going to give you some game and just go back out there and fix it. Um, as far as playing, though, I'm going to keep it 100. I officially re-retired this year. I didn't get out there as much. Um, I, was getting, I was getting out there, you know, my first couple of years, obviously, when I was at La Tech. Um, and then even last year, you know, we would be shorting some bodies. And, you know, I'd have to get out there and just, you know, give Miles Powell, you know, just one good step back just one time and play no defense, sub myself out, man. But, um, you know, I looked the part, but these bones are a lot older than they look, man. So... Um, I, I'd say I've re, re-retired, man. <laughs> now, 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 was there ever any one-on-one action? Was there ever, you know, was there whatever with, with you and with you and Miles, or was there any one-on-one action with with, with you these past few years? Yeah. So, so I'll say I got a funny. I got a funny story. We um last um last we were preparing for who was it? Oh, we were preparing for um for uh, Marquette. And I think one of our guys might have been out. So I had to step in and on the scout team and I had to be Marcus Howard. <laughs> and if anyone ever tries to fact check this, I'm fine with that. It was probably like six or seven straight possessions. I got a bucket every single time. Six straight. Like I scored like 18 points in six possessions, man. And so they were like, oh, oh. And I just had to let them know, like, don't let this suit fool you, man. Don't get it twisted. I ain't end up here five eleven for no reason. So <laughs> that was that was that was pretty dope, man. Cause you know, when you don't play, you don't compete. You know, it's like riding a bicycle sometimes, man. You still got it. At the end of the day, you're a lot smarter too. You don't have to be as fast, but you're a lot smarter with your usage and how you move and you know, stuff like that. So it was a sequence that week, those two or three days that we were prepping. Like I, I gave him my, my best version of uh, Marcus Howard. So it's pretty cool though, because you know at the end of the day, a lot, a lot of times they look at that and they'll look at it and say, okay, whatever he's saying, he might he might actually know what the hell he's talking about because he's been there and he's done that. And some, some they know it, but sometimes 
you know, get, being able to get out there sometimes is a, is a, is another reminder. That's facts. That's facts, man. Well, uh, it's definitely been fun, Coach. We definitely, um, you know, appreciate you coming on, man. Um, you know, for a second time around, man, and, uh, <clears throat> we'll definitely be tuning in to you guys this season. Of course, as always, man, I'm wishing you guys the best of luck, man. But, you know, for you, man, definitely thanks again for coming on with us, man. It was definitely a, a good time. No, nah, I appreciate you guys, man. I'm always looking forward to you guys' um, you know, podcast. It's pretty dope to see what you guys are doing, man. So any way that I can support, man, I'm on. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks a lot, Coach, man. That's going to do it for another episode of the Auto Bid. I'm Aaron Robertson. This is Andrew Robertson. And thanks again to Coach Tony Skin. And we're going to let my guy pull up Tay. Take us out with some music, man. Make sure you guys are liking, subscribing, uh, sharing this podcast, man. Every retweet and, and like, it does go a long way, man. So thank you guys. And until next week, uh, another episode of the Auto Bid. You beating on me? It's time to get a check, boy. You want the sideline? You ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. On me. What's the topic of discussion? What we talk about? Take your best shot. I'ma take the last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.